You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Welcome to a special breaking news edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm Chad Dotson. Uh, joining me again here today is uh, our statistician from Fox Sports Ohio, the author of 100 Things Reds Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. We're making this a habit, I guess, but uh, how you doing today, Joel? Joel Luckup. I don't know. I'm starting to wonder whether or not your little black book has uh, lost, run out of pages or whatever, and you're just having to go back to me again. So I appreciate it. Oh, you're the only one that will answer my calls at this point. <laughs> I knew I should have gotten off Skype for a reason. No. <laughs> exactly. No, happy. This is great. I'm, I'm happy to be here to talk about this. Well, this is something that we might like to try to do if we can uh, more often. This is going to be sort of a mini edition, but uh, just to address some breaking news going on in uh, Cincinnati Reds world and big breaking news today. Uh, Dusty Baker fired. Now, we talked about this just a little bit the last time we were on the podcast, but did did you really see this coming, especially this quickly? Um, you know what? I, I said when I first saw the news, I said that I was shocked that it happened, and I wasn't shocked at all, if that makes sense. So, you know, I I kind of expected that it might happen, but I was still a little bit surprised that they actually followed through on it. So it was interesting to me. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I've been saying for a while I really didn't think he would be fired, and, and I've also said I'm not sure that I would have fired him if I were the manager because I have a – maybe it's just I'm risk-averse, but I'm afraid we're going to get a Bob Boone or a a Ray Knight or, or one of the other guys the Reds have had that are much worse than Dusty's been. Uh, but on the other hand, I can't – sort of the same way that, that you said it, I can't really be that surprised. I mean, Dusty uh, has a pretty significant collapse at the end of the season this year. There's a lot of dissatisfaction among the fan base. And if we know anything about uh, uh, Bob Castellini, at least uh, from reports that, that I've heard, I don't know him personally, but uh, he, he likes to win, number one, and he's also a fan. And so uh, those combined, really, in retrospect, I'm not that surprised that, that it happened so quickly. Right. And, you know, it's something that caught me, too, um, about this season, you know, 90 wins and all that. It was the weirdest 90 win season I can recall. It really was. Uh, um, and and uh, Mo Egger has talked about this a lot this week, where it was there always seemed to be some sort of ter- little turmoil going on or just even just annoyances or bitterness or whatever that was going on. And, it, you know, we, we point the finger at fans a lot, but it wasn't just with fans. I mean, even the players kind of they kind of had an ennui about them about this season that that I think ultimately came to a head at the end of the season. And I think ultimately that I mean, so Dusty says that, you know, he's upset that it was the last last six week or the last week of the season canceled out his whole six years that he uh, you know previously um and i don't think it was just that i think it was the the season as an entirety it was just encapsulated kind of in a, a condensed six days there where it was like okay everything that was terrible about this season was all compressed into like a week and uh and maybe that was ultimately what did him in but you know it wasn't just that week it was just that week was symbolic of the whole season right if that week had happened at the end of a season like they had last year we wouldn't be having this discussion right uh, but but you're right it was just the, the oddest season uh, all year long and often it was something you really couldn't put a finger on just always something uh, popping up and down but now uh, walt jockety uh, general manager walt jockety did say today that uh, the collapse the last basically six games of the season that played a huge role in why they made this decision. And I, I was a little surprised to see that, he, that they were so honest about the fact that 
Uh, you know, the Reds just stunk it up the last six games, including that terrible performance against uh, Pittsburgh with Castellani sitting next to Joe Morgan in the front row. Um, yes, a, a, a very – what may become a very famous picture in Reds history, I would suppose. Oh, we, we posted that picture at Red Leg Nation uh, tonight, actually. Uh, one of the editors did. And it, you, if you look at that picture – uh, as Chris Garber, who posted it, noted, you would have known what was coming because yes. he, was, he was clearly not happy. Yes, yes. And, uh, and, and well, and I wasn't particularly happy either. Let's just quickly uh, digress just a moment. Were the Reds as ill? This really isn't digressing. It's really just talking about what uh, Dusty has brought to the table. But were they as ill prepared for that game? I know there's sort, sort of a, this lack of urgency. Everybody made fun of Dusty for his comments about a lack of urgency. But don't you think that showed up on the field? A Tuesday night. Um, yeah, you know, I I wonder, and I was talking with one of my neighbors about this today. I wonder if something happened in the clubhouse um, that uh, that kind of created a divide somewhere. And and I I don't want to suppose, or I don't want to think too far, or follow that train of thought too far, because we don't have any details. But you look at some of the quotes from some of the players today, where um, you know some are somewhat surprised, but they're not really. You know, Sam Lecure has talked about how there needed to be an attitude change in the clubhouse. Bronson mentioned that a little bit. Um, even Jay kind of mentioned that some in, in some of his quotes. You know, there, there's this air, like you know, the players kind of recognize that something needed to change. And and so I wonder if if Dusty either had lost the clubhouse because of some incident or something that happened in the in the clubhouse, um, or if it was just general over the season that that there just became this divide somewhere there, and uh, and you know maybe the move was inevitable because of that fact. Well, some bridges are being burned today, and so I'm hopeful that we'll get the sort of the full story about what went on at clubhouse. I think you're right. The quotes today from the players were fascinating. Lacures. Let me let me just read what Sam Lacure said today uh, I, unfortunately it's not like mr castellini can fire all the players i think it's more like him trying to send a message that the culture of the clubhouse had to change i love dusty i have an opinion like all the people on twitter i don't agree with everything he does everyone has an opinion on how they'd manage a game or fill out the lineup card but i do know dusty was doing the best job he did i think it was a time for a change with some of the personalities i thought that was uh, remarkable honesty and uh uh, a real insight into what's been going on in that clubhouse over the last uh, few weeks and months. Right. And interestingly, I mean, and maybe I'm just, I'm jumping to conclusions here. I, I did, I took out my jump to conclusions, Matt, and, <laughs> and uh, figured out where to go with this, but um, you don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't expect to hear anything from Joey. Uh, he's not the kind of guy that, that these guys go running to to get an interview with. Maybe somebody tried to get a hold of him and Joey declined or whatever, but um I've always kind of felt like the two the two people that were that really were at odds at most this season were kind of Dusty and Joey, and maybe they never butted heads directly, but you know Dusty never came out in defense of Joey, and and Joey kind of held his ground as as you know this is the way I want to play the game, and I think that there was always kind of that um, that tension there between them, and I. I, I, I don't want to say the players necessarily side with Joey because maybe Sam was saying that maybe Joey needs to be gone and and you know or whatever you know you can read that that quote both ways but um, I feel like maybe uh, when there's this talk of personalities maybe there that was where one of the conflicts was of just 
you know, you've got your superstar player who kind of is set in the way that he wants to do things. And then you've got a manager who, um, at least verbally in the public, has a complete opposite view on how things should be done at the plate, at least. And, you know, those two kind of don't really mesh very well. But, you, you know, you never really saw any specific events between the two of them. But, you know, you, you can imagine, I guess, if you really, you don't, it doesn't, it's not that far of a leap for you to, to make that kind of a conclusion, I would think. Oh, I, I, w- I would agree 100%. And, and what you did see from Joey is that he did go out in, in the press and in the media and, and defend himself a little bit regarding his uh, hitting philosophy and, um, it, which surprised me just a little bit because Joey's not the type of guy that you, that's really comfortable doing those sort of things, and so it would not surprise me if that's the way the clubhouse kind of uh, broke down. At least that part of the part of the breakdown, part of the uh, divide in the clubhouse. These players see Joey Votto, an all-star, a most valuable player, uh, one of the elite hitters in the game, and they see every day how hard he works at perfecting his craft. I can't imagine that some of them wouldn't think, "Wait a minute, what? You know what? Why are we questioning this guy?" Why are we right. questioning, you know, some other guy? It wouldn't surprise me. That's just human nature, it would seem like to me. Yeah. Yeah, and, you, and, you know, the uh, the dynamics of 25 athletes who are all um, driven in some fashion one way or another, uh, it, it, it would be impossible for us to summarize probably, you know, especially since neither of us are down in that, that clubhouse. I, that was just one of those thoughts that came to me today, that, that we're not hearing anything from Joey. Maybe we never will, at least not until spring training um, or Reds Fest or whatever. But, uh, you know, just the fact that um, – that that to me that was one of the overriding tensions of the season, and I felt like it was you know outside of like the actual record of the team, it was probably the number one conversation throughout the season of you know what's wrong with Joey or what's Joey up to or why is Joey doing this or why is he driving in runs blah blah blah, and and I don't think that Dusty I don't ever recall a time where Dusty came out and defended Joey. He maybe didn't always throw him under the bus, but I never felt like there was a time where. He was, you know, sticking up for Joey for for Joey having a strategy or whatever. He was always kind of had that idea of, well, you know, some of our guys need to start being more aggressive, or some of our guys need to be, you know, driving in more runs or whatever. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, in a lot of those pregame conversations with Marty Brenneman, he was he would constantly, and he wouldn't call Joey out by name, so he didn't throw him under the bus. But he certainly uh, didn't go out of his way to support Joey and and and. Uh, and uh, I guess he, he made it clear that he disapproved of Votto's theory of hitting. And right. Uh, you know. And to be and to be clear, we're not. I don't want to paint Joey as a victim here. I'm not trying to do that. All I'm trying to say is, you know, this might be one of those areas where that tension, you know, the the differing personalities within the clubhouse was was effect, you know, causing that effect. Yeah, no doubt. And, and actually, a, a point that occurs to me is uh, part of the reason why. I've been hesitant to throw Dusty under the bus and call for his firing has been that I think he's uh, generally been pretty good at a part of his job that nobody sees. This is a big part of that. And you talk about managing all those personalities in the clubhouse. If he had kind of lost his way in the part of the job that we all thought uh, he was, was his strength, I guess you could say, uh, then then maybe that was a big part of the uh, the reason that this change was made. You know, I did I did see uh, I guess it was Paul Doherty, so I don't know if this was sourced or not, but. Uh, <laughs> But he, Sorry. That's all right. But he said that, um, that that part of what Castellini was upset about was the whole com- the uh, confrontation uh, Brandon Phillips had with uh, C. Trent Rosecrans, uh, where Dusty just sat there like a deer in the headlights. And, right. and, and Doherty referenced that as, a, I guess, a, a data point 
towards the conclusion that Dusty had lost the clubhouse. So there are a lot of yeah. things we can speculate. Yeah, about. And, and I mean, I think there's there's examples kind of all over the place. Um, you know, Johnny Cueto refusing to go in the bullpen, even though the the Reds told them that that was their plan. Araldis Chapman at the or, or, you know beginning of the season, kind of defining his own role, and even you know even with Joey defining you, know, this is what I want to do. This you know, right. uh, you have to wonder whether or not you know were the inmates running the asylum kind of thing, um, which in some cases is not a bad thing. Sometimes you need your you know teams can be good um, when you have you know, your, your best players kind of, you know, controlling the clubhouse. Um, I don't think there was any necessarily leadership there. It was a lot of individuals that were kind of managing themselves and, uh, and Dusty really didn't seem to have control of that situation, at least from an external view. Well, well, look, you're hinted at it. And, and on WLW Bronson Arroyo, he was talking to Lance McAllister uh, he came right out and said it. They, were, they needed some leadership in that clubhouse. Now, I don't know why he wasn't providing it himself, I guess, uh, right. being the veteran presence, but that, that was his quote. So, yep. Another uh, interesting sidelight to this whole saga was this article. I, I presume you read it by uh, John Heyman, Sports Illustrated, mm-hmm. where he came out and said that Dusty was fired, and he's backtracked since, I'm told, uh, or amended his article, but said that there was a conversation between Dusty and Walt Jockety, in which Walt said, basically, we're firing hitting coach Brooke Jacoby. And Dusty said, if you're going to fire somebody, fire me. Well, now he's, uh, as I said, he's, he stepped back from that. And, and because Jockety said that that's someone thinking of someone's imagination, there was a conversation sometime last week. No specifics about that, evidently, but it wasn't uh, yesterday or today. And But that's just a strange uh, yeah, story. Yeah. That whole, well, um, you know, and, Something that struck me about that is I and I didn't follow Dusty's firing in in Chicago very closely, but I've heard stories here and there. And something that struck me about that is um, Dusty kind of painted himself as a victim in, when he left Chicago a lot. And I wonder if it was just a a um, some sort of a response, a you know, a subconscious response to you know the first time he told the story to kind of paint himself in that light a little bit. Um, you know, maybe he was hurt, maybe he was, a, uh, you know, still feeling the sting of being fired unexpectedly, and and perhaps now now the whole you know throwing you know throwing himself on the sword kind of thing. I'm not sure where that comes from. But, you know, you kind of read a lot of that story and, you know, he, he brings up the letters that he's getting that are unfortunate if they are true that he's getting letters with racial um, attacks and that kind of stuff, uh, it, it, which would be terrible if that was happening. And and I, I don't mean to say that and make it sound like I don't believe that it was happening. I just um, uh, my point being that he was kind of bringing up a lot of these things that were, you know, a little bit woe is me and um I wonder if that story kind of got about uh, Jacoby maybe got embellished a little bit uh, to kind of fit into that woe is me type story. And I bet you asked, you know, I bet if you asked Dusty in a week or two weeks or a month, um, maybe his story becomes a little less uh, woe is me and a little more um, straightforward about the facts. But I bet right now, I mean, as any normal person would be, he's probably hurting about the whole situation. You know, he probably feels like uh, this is not what he expected. And it, I mean, I know it would hurt me if I was in his shoes. So Sure, that's only natural. Uh, you mentioned something that uh, some of the editors of Red Lake Nation today, we've been discussing, obviously, all this uh, back channel on our email list. And 
and one of the uh, other editors uncovered an article from the Chicago Tribune from uh, when he right after Baker was fired, and you could just pull the quotes from that and put them in here, right down to the uh, allegations of getting this 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 mail. And and I, you know, if Dusty says he's getting this hate mail or this racially tinged mail, I don't have any reason to disbelieve him, and I have no doubt there are probably some morons out there. Uh, engaging in that kind of ridiculous behavior, but uh, surprisingly similar mm -hmm. qu quotes from Dusty and, and reaction from Dusty, and maybe that's just a human nature reaction. I just right. got fired. I didn't expect it. I'm being treated unfairly. Uh, I'm trying to defend myself. I, I, I can understand mm -hmm. that. Right, and and you know, I mean, he, and maybe he has gotten that mail, you know, over time, and I'm sure it's hurt if he has gotten it. Um, but, you know, maybe it's just one of those things that it's like it popped into his head of like, okay, you know, I don't need this stupid job anyway kind of thing. So, I don't know. Well, it's a it's an interesting situation. I really look forward to seeing how it all plays out as we start reading more about what's going on. Now, let's move quickly, if we could, to the next phase. Uh, Walt Jockety and Bob Castellane both said that they hope to have someone in place as soon, soon as possible, sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And we've heard about a million names as candidates. Uh, the ones that are killing me, we keep I keep seeing on Twitter. Oh man, Joe Morgan, uh, <laughs> Sean Casey, Barry Larkin, uh, a lot of sort of candidates. I don't. I, I love Larkin, for example, my favorite player. And actually, at one time, mm -hmm. I thought he'd make a good manager for this team. And he's con concerned me based on some of his uh, statements he's made on television. But right. um, well, you know the the thing about former players is that unless you are really motivated, like Ryan Sandberg, for instance, to be in management in the game, or, or Don Mattingly, somebody like that, uh, I have a hard time believing that you know former superstar players, um, with the amount of money that they've made during their career, are going to go into the TV booth and then come back out of it. Because the TV booth, while um, you know, some of them really work hard at doing their job there, you don't need to do the kind of work that you need to do to be a manager. And I just have a hard time believing any of those guys. And, and for what it's worth, uh, you know, Jockety has already come out and said that Joe Morgan has no interest in managing. I've actually heard that quote directly out of his mouth before, where he has said that um, he thought about it at one time and uh, just not interested in it. So hopefully well, that'll put the quash on. It won't, but hopefully. No, it won't. And you know, for a, for a former, uh, like a legend, like a Joe Morgan or a Barry Larkin, who's a, who are Cincinnati legends, what a, what a thankless proposition that would be to come. Right. Every manager gets fired basically just about, uh, yeah. why would you want to, when you, especially when you're in a situation like Barry Larkin, when you can be a TV analyst and, um, you know, he's not, he's not hurting for money. Uh, I don't know why you'd want to put yourself in the, the line of fire because it, it's probably not going to, uh, well, and it's not just the line of fire; it's the everyday line of fire. You know, Absolutely. I mean, like he was, you know, he, he may do, um, you know, the U.S. team or Brazil or some whatever, but that's like a short period of time, a couple months at the most. Um, you do this every day. I mean, just look at how battered Dusty Baker gets every day, and some of it's deserved, but some of it's just tiresome. And Absolutely. I mean, why would you put up with that? Yeah, really. If you if you didn't have to and didn't really have a burning desire that that was something you wanted to accomplish in life, I, I don't know why you would want to. You're right. Well, right. who 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 is going to get it now? There been two. There have been two candidates from within the organization that have been identified. One very interesting. One I uh, wish we would not ever mention again. Um, 
Brian Price, Cincinnati's pitching coach, who has been reputed to be a candidate for uh, other managerial jobs, including some that are open this this year, uh, Seattle, for example, specifically, and also Jim Riggleman, Cincinnati's AAA manager, who had a managerial job or three at once upon a time, has never done too well, and then quit his last one. So um, those are the top two in-house candidates. What are your thoughts, if any, on either of those two? Um, you know, as I thought about Brian Price today, I thought about that article that Mark Sheldon did uh, you know, what was it about, um, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago around, you know, late, late September about Brian Price and accountability. And, and I thought, man, you know, what's, what's interesting is after that article came out about Brian Price, the whole narrative about Dusty Baker was accountability, uh, well, accountability and, um, sense of urgency, you know, and, and it, it, it struck me as like that, it's almost too simple. Like maybe that article was, uh, maybe somebody put the little bug in Sheldon's ear that, hey, you know what? Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of accountability in the pitching staff, kind of thing. And um, you know, why don't you go out and talk to Brian Price, kind of thing? So it, it is like a, a, you know, hey, why don't you go introduce this guy, you, this future manager, to the Reds uh, fans? Now I I may be reading. I'm I'm totally reading between the lines. I'll admit that, but it just struck me. When you read that article, it was like it was totally it's totally written in kind of this this sense of, hey, this guy is not Dusty Baker, you know. Yeah. Ser- <laughs> so. serious, serious foreshadowing there. Someone asked me earlier. Uh, I had actually forgotten about that that article until you mentioned it. Um, someone asked me on Twitter earlier today, what you know, what do we know about Brian Price? What kind of a manager would he be? And I, my response was basically. Well, you know, I'm really not sure. We ha- you'd have to sit down and talk to him about his managerial philosophy, his strategic philosophy. I, I don't know. And then later in the day, Bronson Arroyo uh, in a in a John Fay article at, in the Inquirer, Bronson Arroyo had some quotes that made me think. Wait a minute, you know, maybe maybe this guy is legit. I mean, we all know he's a good good pitching coach. And we know that other uh, other places have uh, tried to hire him away. He, according to Bronson, he turned down Miami last year, and I think that's probably true. Um, but Bronson said he thinks that uh, Brian Price would be unbelievable, quote-unquote. He's as organized as anyone in the game. Here's, here's your sentence. He holds people as accountable as well as anyone I've seen. Um, and then the next part that really popped a red flag up in my mind, he doesn't buy into stereotypical things in the game, things that other people buy into that I don't feel are relevant. Price looks at evidence. He's a freaking smart guy. He makes his decision on reasonable evidence. Sometimes in baseball we go by hunches, what someone else said or, or the way things have gone in the past. He doesn't do that. Now, so my red flag went up, and, and it, what I thought of was some of the articles we've read about Clint Hurdle in Pittsburgh or, earlier this year where he Hurdle basically said, I saw the writing on the wall. Uh, the Pirates were going to do things a little bit differently, and I knew I had to change and adapt to it and, and be open-minded about it. And it sounds like Arroyo is, is saying that's the way Price is, open-minded, Maybe I'm just hoping the Reds will get a guy that's not old school, quote unquote. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but those are very interesting quotes, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. And and uh, it's almost like there there's a little bit of a campaign going. Uh, you know, you, there's a quote from uh, Sam Lecure that's kind of along the same lines. That he, but you know, Lecure even kind of makes a, a little joke of that he's a great pitching coach. You know, maybe I'm being a little selfish though because I want him to continue to be my right, pitching right. coach. Um, you know, it, it, the the quote that struck me from Sheldon's article a couple weeks ago was, uh, 
a specific instance, and I'm sure Dusty's probably has instances of like this. You know, I just don't have any exact quotes in front of me, but it's, um, you know, from Homer Bailey he says, I come back to the dugout and he said, you were late to first base. That's unacceptable. I said, you're absolutely right. It's my fault. It won't happen again, Bailey said. And it didn't. It's about the, the little things that we must all do right. We're all held very accountable on certain things. And as far as pitching goes, if you can do that when you come up, or if you can't do that when you come up, you'll be sent out. Um, and and the the point that, that caught me was we're all held very accountable on certain things as far as pitching goes. And it, it was like even back then, I mean, even back then, it was only a couple of weeks ago, but it was like the pitchers were saying, um, you know, we're held accountable. The rest of the team, maybe not so much. And so um, it, it, it was almost to me like the, the, the pitchers were saying, we need somebody like if it's not Brian Price, we need somebody like Brian Price overseeing this team. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And you, know, you co- contrast uh, the fact that they're held accountable. Uh, for things like that with uh, one of the Mets, I can't remember which Mets announcer it was, one of the Mets announcers there in that disastrous series uh, last week, week and a half ago, uh, said basically, I've never seen a team run out so few ground balls to first base uh, in in a series in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, some of that stuff, you know, I, I don't, whatever. But uh, the, the fact was, Marty, and of course Marty's good at piling on when somebody's uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> But today he said basically that, that Dusty would not correct them on things like that, and and it was clear by the end of this season they really weren't uh, when it, whether it's base running or defense or just they really weren't being held accountable for their mistakes. As the same mistakes were being made over and over and over. Right. So I think we're both in agreement that we would be okay with Brian Price as the Reds manager based on what we've heard. I think so, and again, we don't know a whole lot about him just yet, but everything that I've heard, and I don't know if it's a big PR push, like you're uh, speculating maybe, to uh, introduce him as the next guy, but uh, there's a reason why he's so well-respected around the game, I would imagine, and, and some of these quotes make me think, hey, this is a guy I could at least give a chance. Mm-hmm. Outside the organization, uh, we've heard more crazy, crazy talk <laughs> from uh, Charlie Manuel to Davey Johnson to um, the ghost of Sparky Anderson. I've I've actually had multiple people send me requests for for guys that are currently employed as managers bud black uh somebody bruce bochy i'm like uh <laughs> these guys already have jobs and joe girardi is another one i heard a hundred yes. times although there's some speculation he may move on i don't think he will uh but uh anyone else you can think of outside the organization it's a little that's an impossible question really but uh, there's nobody i could really think of that would seem like be a natural in terms of who they would interview Maybe you have a different perspective. Well, I, I would. My only thought would be is if they go with somebody outside of the organization, then I would hope that it would be somebody that maybe we're not as familiar with. Um, I I would hope that they wouldn't just go with somebody because they've had success somewhere else, unless they know that that guy's success is right in line with the type of leadership that they feel like this club needs. Um, you know, you look at maybe Charlie Manuel's a good fit. I don't know, uh, but I I don't assume that he's a good fit just because he's won a world championship somewhere. Um, you know, and 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 I hope that they uh, that the Reds, if they do look outside of the organization, that it you know that they're not going with just because somebody won a world championship somewhere else that makes them a success. I mean, I think that um, you, you really. They're at a point now where they know what they have. They know what they're going to have for the next couple of years uh, for the most part. 
they have to find somebody that kind of fits. And this is where like Bob Haslam would do an excellent job um, because he was so good at understanding uh, people that he was talking to, interviewing, and you know, people in other organizations. I, I don't know if Walt's like that. Maybe he is. Um, you know, but but Bob Housen was really good at that, and that's how he was able to find somebody like Sparky Anderson and know that Sparky Anderson was the right guy for the team that he had. Well, I don't envy Walt Jockety having to make this decision, and I was surprised to learn today. I didn't really uh, put two and two together on this, but he's only made one managerial hire, I think, in his entire career as a general manager. So uh, a lot's going to be resting on this decision. Uh, mm-hmm. And, I don't and the advantage... The advantage that he had of hiring Tony Larusa before was that he had worked with Tony Larusa when when Walt was a um, assistant GM, I believe, with the Oakland A's. So he was familiar with Tony Larusa. I'm not sure if he's got anybody unless he picks a former player from one of his teams. Uh, I'm not sure he's really got anybody that out there right now that he knows, um, at least personally, that will be able to you know fill that kind of a role. Right. Nobody comes to mind initially, but one thing he does have going for him is that this is a darned attractive job, really. I mean, yes. some, some people may say that the Nationals' job is more attractive, and maybe it is, but I don't know. This is a team that's set to win now, and if, if for the right guy that could step in, it's an awfully, awfully attractive situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should be. So what's, what's your dream scenario here? My dream scenario, um, I would say that uh, Brian Price is hired. Um, the Reds, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to go all like deep on this one. Okay, I'm going to go several layers here. Oh, let's hear it. So Brian Price is hired. The Reds trade. Um, let's just say Homer Bailey for for the sake of uh, discussion because he is the most logical. Right. They they make they make the. Uh, um, James Shields for Will Myers trade of the of the offseason, and they they acquire a a solid cheap bat. Uh, you know, it's unlikely, but you know, we would have said that trading Will Myers was unlikely. Also, um, who ends up is, is their future in the corner, you know, one of the corner out, or I guess probably left field or third base. Then they uh, Brian Price, being the wizard that he is. The the pitcher whisperer goes and talks to Araldus Chapman and says, "Dude, you're going to be a starting pitcher again." And Araldus buys into it and converts himself into a starting pitcher to replace Homer Bailey in the starting rotation. And then they have money freed up because they've traded Homer and gotten cheaper. Uh, they don't have Bronson Arroyo. Um, you know, they've also they've they may not free up any other money anywhere else. Um, but they have a little bit of extra money freed up, and then they go out and spend that either for another bat or, um, well, knowing Jockety, it'll probably be a bullpen arm. But you know, to fill some of the other holes, uh, some of the other holes that they need to fill in, uh, and and then they come back and they have a pretty good, you know, at least as good a quality team as we thought they had coming into this season. That's my dream scenario. Well, that's uh, I'm 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 dreaming here. You guys heard it here first. Uh, Joel Luckup just predicted that Will Myers was going to be in the middle of the <laughs> lineup next year. I love it. I love it. Um, uh, maybe a, a less less of a dream scenario, but maybe it's more of a dream scenario. I don't know, but um, I, I would love to see the Reds, and I don't even know if it's even realistic, but re-sign Shinsu Chu. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, 
that's actually probably less realistic than, than, than trying to find a, a young, cheap uh, bat for the lineup. But re-sign Shin Su Chu and, and, and then trade, uh, trade Homer's the guy. And I hate to advocate for the trading Homer, but he does seem to be like maybe the most uh, valuable trading chip, most valuable asset the Reds are going to have to move during this offseason to really help him get better. So, um, and, and, and help, help, I don't know, bring in a bat, but you know, the whole rawness to the rotation <laughs> speculation. Oh, see, now what you're doing here is you're, I had uh, back I'm in, making you excited for the playoffs oh, again, aren't I? <laughs> back, yes, you are. Back in, I don't know, May or something, I finally resolved. I'm never going to mention this again on the podcast. No more rawness to the rotation. But you know, one thing that I thought initially when people were talking about Brian Price here was, you know, Brian's price seemed like in the spring he never really was on board with sending uh, Chapman to the bullpen. At least that, maybe that was just the way I read into it. But I never felt like he was completely on board with making him a reliever. It seemed, seemed like he wanted him in the rotation. So, Right. Oh, right. You, <laughs> you've got me excited, Joel. I know. I, 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 admittedly, that's one of, the least, you know, one of the least likely scenarios in the whole thing. But Probably. Probably. Yep. Um, Anything else you think we need to uh, discuss with respect to this whole situation? It's going to be a very, very interesting offseason for the Reds, isn't it? It will, and I think we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. So uh, I, I think right now it should be a pretty interesting next week. I imagine that in a week um, we'll know who the manager is. I don't think they'll waste too much time. Teams don't usually waste a lot of time, especially teams um, that are going to have to make uh, at least a couple more moves to kind of fill some holes. They're not going to want to wait around uh, to get a manager before they start figuring out what what moves they want to make after that. Obviously, they're not going to make any other moves before the World Series is over. But um, you know, they want to start getting the the wheels uh, turning on getting the the moves that they want to make done. Sure, get a manager in place and really begin to push forward 100% with the the new philosophy, I guess. Uh, right in Cincinnati. Uh, a quick word about Dusty. You know, one thing that we said on Twitter earlier today was, in my opinion, perhaps, maybe everyone doesn't share this, but I thought Dusty never, ever got enough credit from his detractors and and really never got enough uh, sort of criticism, I guess, from his supporters. He's He was a, a unique guy, an interesting guy, not all good, not all bad with him, but what it came down to in my mind was a 2002 World Series. He was up 5 to nothing with eight outs to go and blew it. Um, 2003 with the Cubs, the Bartman game blew it. 2012 with the Reds. Um, I think in the end that those postseason collapses, I think more than what happened in this last week is what tipped the scale. That they started mm-hmm. to think uh, when this latest uh, collapses last few last week of the season happened. On top of that, I, I guess I just feel like that was the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. So. Yeah, what do they say? Three times is a pattern. So there you go. You know. <laughs> so, uh, but we do wish Dusty the best of luck. It seems like one of the more interesting guys in baseball, doesn't he? Yeah, and um, I, I've always been thankful to Dusty because he uh, provided the forward for my book. Uh, you know, so I, I, I never advocated for firing of Dusty. I thought. Um, I, I will say that I think that this move is the right move for the Reds. Uh, I don't think they would have been a disaster next year had Dusty come back, but I think that this is the type of thing that needed to happen for them to move to the next level. And, um, you know, Dusty brought this team um, 
you know, he, he had a lot of talent to go with, but I, you know, he built this team up a lot better than I think we ever expected when he was hired in 2008. So he does get a little bit of credit for that. Yes. Absolutely. And I don't, I do not appreciate you stepping on my line. I've got your book sitting in front of me and I was going to mention that in closing that he, <laughs> that he wrote the forward to your book, but uh, you're right. He deserves some credit for this. And, and uh, you know, I, you and I are the same. We never, never advocated for his firing, but you know, probably the right time. Yep. Okay, well, Joe, anything else you uh, want to discuss here? Nope, I'm looking forward to doing this again when the Reds are trading Homer Bailey for the next Will Myers. Oh, or, <laughs> or, or the original Will Myers. That'd be fine by me. Right. Um, Joe Luckup, I appreciate you yeah, joining, uh, joining us Because the again. Tampa Bay Rays are hurting for pitching, obviously. <laughs> exactly right, yes, definitely. Uh, okay, maybe we better set our sights on someone other than the actual Will Myers. But yep. I, 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 love the, uh, I love the dream. Yep. Um Joel, appreciate you joining me again here. This is uh, Chad Dotson. Hey, go subscribe to the podcast at redlegnation.com. And uh, you know, this is going to be a fun, fun offseason. Hope you'll join us uh, here on the Red Leg Nation radio podcast. So long, everyone.